Welcome to the Happily Hormonal Podcast. Now, if you're a little iffy on whether or not the word hormonal is a good one, you're in the right place. My name is Leisha Drews, registered nurse and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner turned holistic hormone coach. And after going through my own hormone journey and having my three babies, I actually believe that our hormones are one of the greatest gifts that we've been given as women. And that no matter what you've been told, it's possible for you to have thriving energy, good periods, and a stable mood all month long. And I am here to show you the way. I think it's time to change the narrative around words like hormones and hormonal and start to reclaim the power that we truly have as women, which is the power to change not only our own health, but the health of all of our family for generations to come. Hormone balance doesn't have to feel hard. It can actually feel simple and fun when we do it in a way that aligns with how our bodies were made. If you're ready to start trusting your body again and feeling really good in that beautiful body that you've been given, then grab yourself a yummy drink and maybe a snack and let's do this. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have Sarah from Healthy Skin Glows here with me, and I am so excited because we are going to talk about skin and hormonal acne and acne in general, and she is such a wealth of knowledge on this. And so I'm just going to have you introduce yourself, Sarah, and I'd love to hear basically why you're here. Like, how did you get into skin health in the first place? And let's just kind of hear that story. Thank you so much for having me. I really love that you invited me. So. I have a pretty typical story, I would say. I started getting acne when I was a teenager, you know, with the coming of first, you know, menstrual cycle. A lot of girls start having acne and you start to dabble into various skincare. You visit the dermatologist and they all just throw certain, you know, band-aids at you, like hormonal birth control, antibiotics. I've been on several rounds of antibiotics. I've tried just every over-the-counter treatment, you know, dermatologist prescriptions, all of it I've tried over the years with nothing really, you know, working over the long term. And later on when I was in college, so I'm a molecular biologist. At some point I was just like, okay, nothing is working. Like my skin is literally so inflamed. I just have to actually take some of my time and start learning about skin. Not so much like skincare, like what is great for, you know, acne, because obviously nothing was working. I was like, I have all this scientific resources at my disposal. Why not just learn about skin? And what I learned, you know, when I learned about skin barrier and how important our, you know, skin barrier really is and how skincare can disrupt it and in turn just raise inflammation because acne is at the core inflammatory skin disease. So whatever raises inflammation will make acne worse. So a lot of what I've learned really horrified me because I've realized that I've been doing it all wrong and just making things worse in the long run. So in the end, when I started applying the principles that I've learned, just kind of like connecting the dots and applying some common sense here, I was able to heal my skin on my own within like a year, I think. And then after that, I mean, the years will pass before I would turn to writing about skin. And this is how Healthy Skin Glow started. In 2015, I started a blog that became more and more popular because I was emphasizing, I think, something different, like not how great skincare is and how we all have to, you know, cleanse, tone and moisturize. But I was emphasizing the importance of the skin health and skin barrier in healing adult acne, but just about any kind of skin issue, because it all starts with a healthy skin barrier. So this started to become popular and then I started accepting clients. And here I am today. I'm very, very happy that I could teach somebody else what I've learned very painfully over many years so that they don't have to go through the same thing. 
sadly, still many people go through the same thing before they come to me, but at least, you know, they are able to, at the end, get some help. Yeah, I love that. And I know that I've had similar struggles with my skin and my story is different in that I didn't have a biology background and they took me a long time to truly realize that what I was putting in my body and on my body um, was really making a difference. And I think that my, my acne really didn't clear up until probably like my early twenties. And so part of me is like, would it have cleared up at that point on its own anyway? Or did I finally figure out you know, what worked for me at that point? And so I love that there are resources out there now and that you've created resources for especially teen girls. But I know that also there's so many that I work with in their thirties who are having acne, who have maybe never even had it before because of changes in their hormones. So I would love for us to just dive into some of the common misconceptions about acne and skincare, because there's so much conflicting information out there. For sure. So some of the misconceptions about skin and acne in general is definitely one of the old ones is that diet plays no role in our skin health. And I think it started with one of the very poorly executed studies where they just fed like a small group of people some chocolate for a week. And then the control group didn't eat chocolate. And then after a week, it was like, oh, there's no difference. You know, the diet okay. makes no difference. That chocolate doesn't yeah. make. But obviously, that's a very poorly executed study. And we started saying, you know, and we've been saying it for decades, like diet plays no role, diet plays no role, because obviously it's a very complex thing to prove something like that. Whenever you're looking at a very complex subject, there's so many variables to consider. And within a scientific experiment, you can't really consider all the variables at once. It's like very difficult to prove something that is complex at its core, like connection with you know hormones and diet with our skin. But obviously, like common sense tells us that skin is just another organ in our body that requires nutrients, just like any other again organ in our body. So if we come from this, you know, fact that vitamins and minerals are per their definition, something that is necessary for our body, you know, that we get from the outside via our diet. Therefore, like, how can we say that it doesn't play a role, whether something like an organ is working well or not? So obviously acne is very common, but I would not say that it's normal. It may be normal within a certain circumstance where people live like super stressed out lives, eat poorly. And then in that case, like it's a normal response by the skin, but like it's not normal state of the skin. So I think that was one really big disservice that we've, you know, done to people just by telling them it doesn't have anything to do with diet, with your lifestyle, how you live your life. Obviously, all of that, what we eat, how we live is going to impact our hormones, which in turn impact the skin. So this yeah. is one I, you know, big misconception that I'm glad is unraveling in the last years. And the second one maybe that comes to mind is probably like newer one is that everything natural, like as long as it's natural is very good for the skin. Mm -hmm. And this has been really perpetuated in this beauty, like green beauty, part of the beauty industry, I guess. But the truth is that the skin really does not like a lot of natural ingredients and they can be just as irritating as a lot of, you know, more conventional ingredients, you know, like strong retinoids, exfoliating, products, etc. So if it's natural, I think we still have to consider how it actually interacts with the skin and with the skin barrier to conclude whether it's good for the skin or not. So I work with a lot of clients who are using, you know, lots of skincare that is actually just making their acne worse. 
And just by removing that very natural, like very beautiful, very good smelling product, just instantly really makes their skin better. So we have to keep in mind that a lot of the products on the market, whether they be conventional or like, you know, natural green beauty, whatever you want to call it, a lot of them are really made with selling the product in mind, like with marketing in mind. So it has to feel nice on the skin, has to smell nice, you know, just have this like sensory experience and it has nothing to do with how it actually works for the skin, right? So there's like a really small subset of natural skincare that is, you know, good for the skin, that is great for the skin. And the same, I think, goes for like conventional skincare. So we have to always look at how it actually interacts with the skin, you know, the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that even what you mentioned just with like the green beauty industry, I'm sure I, I don't have the numbers, but I know that it's a huge industry and there's going to be a ton of products there that are maybe even not only not nourishing the skin, but they can still honestly be toxic even when they have like a green label stamped on them. So I think that there's probably a lot of just confusion around that in the first place. And then if you're using, you know, conventional products, it's almost certain that there is going to be things in those products that are either not nourishing your skin or adding toxins to your body. Like I'm sure there's just like layers and layers of that that you've dug through. It's really hard to navigate because we have to choose formulas that are not going to impact our skin barrier so adversely. And sometimes conventional products can do that job better, like, you know, supporting the skin barrier in itself, but like then, you know, they can impact our hormones. They can, you know, kind of release toxic substances. So the skin is pretty impenetrable. So it's not like it's just going to soak up absolutely everything, but it does soak up. Like there's definitely effects, like there's definitely adverse, you know, reactions that that we can experience by using and like overusing all these, you know, beauty products that are filled with potential toxins. But yeah, it's it's really hard to navigate, you know, these two worlds where we pick in a way that's something that I do with my clients. Like we try to pick good products that are, you know, good for their hormones, for the body, for the health, but also good and like supportive of the skin barrier. And again, it's a really small subset of what's on the market today, sadly. And Still, even with that small subset, sometimes not all things are going to work for everybody. So we have to navigate that as well. And another thing is that has been also very frustrating is that a lot of the beauty brands, like the green beauty brands that have started like with really clean formulas, have over time switched to using just the same preservatives and stabilizers and emulsifiers that you find in conventional products. Like there's literally no difference at this point for some of these brands. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, like always reading the ingredients and starting to understand what those are is going to be an important step. And then also having some help sometimes is going to be really important because obviously like there's a lot to choosing skincare more than we realize, I think. So I work with women with hormone issues all the time, right? And that's what this podcast is all about. And so let's talk about hormonal acne and specifically I know we kind of think that hormonal acne is just the acne that shows up like before your period or when you're ovulating or something like that. So can you speak to basically how to know if your acne is hormonal and how that reaction actually works in the body? This is a really good question. And I would first like to clarify something that people will kind of equate hormonal acne with like unsolvable acne. And it's really not true. And like, I know that you also talk about this because if it's hormonal, it does mean, you know, the effect is coming from hormones or something else is influencing our hormones, let's say like for gut health, 
sluggish liver detoxification pathways, things like that will then you know impact our hormones. And then the hormones that directly impact the skin, like androgens, leptin, will then kind of carry on that message to the skin and you know disrupt how the skin cells proliferate, how they mature, the natural exfoliation process, the inflammation levels. So all these things can be impacted via these hormonal signals, which then impact how prone we are to acne, whether we develop rosacea or whether our skin is actually functioning optimally and is clear and smooth and glowing. So I would say in that sense, practically all acne could be called hormonal. And the reason why it's appearing most often during, let's say, ovulation or before period, and you know this you know, better than I do, is due to, let's say, spikes in androgens or raising inflammation that just accompanies this period before our period, essentially. So this can impact our skin as well. But usually people kind of equate hormonal acne with like chin acne. This is like a very, very stubborn area. Like this is the area where they're going to break out during these periods, like for a lot of women before their period or for some during ovulation or around the ovulation time. And the reason really is, yeah, this area could, you know, have some kind of like connection to, to these hormones. But I think maybe the simpler reason could be because this lower area of our face is simply like the skin is thicker there. So like if you compare temples or your forehead with like the cheeks and like the jawline, especially like the chin, the skin there is really quite thick. So it's like in millimeters, when we say it's not that much big of a difference, but like on the skin level, when you compare it to the other areas, it's quite thicker. So that means that when the pores get clogged, <laughs> that congestion runs really deep and it's very, very stubborn. And it's just waiting for the opportunity for, you know, quote unquote, you know, for something to raise inflammation and then you get inflammatory acne. So for some people who have a lot of congestion, and by that, I mean these skin color bumps called comedones, let's say they have a weekend of, you know, drinking, partying or something. And then literally the morning after they like (laughs) the skin erupts, like in several really inflamed cystic acne. And it really came from that congestion that was already there. And usually the chin area is the last clear because again, that congestion can run really deep. Mm -hmm. So I would say we can just treat essentially all acne that has internal component as hormonal. You know, obviously all hormones are connected. You know, no single hormone exists in a vacuum. They affect each other. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so helpful. And so realizing that if you're having breakouts before your period, it's likely not an issue just that one week. It's just that your body has kind of like reached the threshold that it can handle. And then you're seeing those signs at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you know yourself, like this can definitely be a sign that there are issues maybe with estrogen detoxification, things like that. But in general, we do have to work, you know, for the entire month, you know, the rest of the month on, you know, managing our hormonal health, managing inflammation, lowering inflammation, working on skin health, you know, skin barrier support, all of these things, because this is a time when the simply these, you know, things will manifest, right? The most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more of like a sensitive time for sure. Exactly. That's That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I know that with my clients, we see big changes in acne, usually over, but it's definitely over time when we're focused on the gut and the liver and nutrition. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts kind of on that area and maybe where you recommend to start if someone hasn't really started. So where to, where to start clearing up the skin? 
in general, I think kind of like the more internal aspects of where to start. Right. So I would say, you know, simple advice would be try to eat whole foods, you know, foods that your grand grandmother would eat and recognize. It's a really good guideline because a lot of the quote unquote, you know, health foods today, like all the powders, you know, fake meats, like fake foods can kind of trick you into thinking this is all healthy, but it's really just laden with like very, you know, kind of modern foods with emulsifiers, with gut irritants, with vegetable oils, things that really will negatively impact the gut health and just raise inflammation further. These are all, you know, just modern foods that I call foods, but maybe they don't deserve to be called foods. It's really just junk. So I would say really just focus on whole foods, whatever those foods may be that you enjoy. Sometimes I ask my clients, what is it that you actually enjoy eating? And they have been in this like cycle of like dieting or following different, you know, diets that they don't even really know anymore. What is it that they enjoy eating? So I was like, okay, if you can eat all the whole foods that you want, like what would you eat in a day? And like, they think this is like a very liberating thing to to think because then there's no kind of like limitations. Oh my God, how much fat am I, you know, getting how much carbs? It's like really the best starting point for most people will be just eat whole foods that you prepare yourself with quality fats, following this kind of like ancestral approach to diet, eat what your grand-grandmother ate. And for a lot of people, this is actually going to be enough when you follow it for, you know, several months, when you give your body enough time to adjust to these changes, when you're, you know, filling up your nutrient stores, of course, it takes time. You cannot undo, you know, a decade of, you know, for eating and like for lifestyle within a month. But this is definitely is going to be a great starting point for a lot of people. So I always emphasize just really trying to eliminate like common gut irritants, like, you know, like various, you know, emulsifiers in foods and like additives, uh, things like that. But really vegetable oils or industrial seed oils are, I would say, maybe the biggest culprit because they're problematic in the cell, but they're also everywhere. If you eat out, if you you order takeouts, if you don't prepare your own food, essentially you're getting a, like a hefty dose of these inflammatory oils. And it really does impact the skin a lot. This is something I've really observed with my clients, like maybe to be like the most important starting point when, you know, changing the diet or adjusting the diet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Would you speak to a little bit of the underlying reasons that gut and liver are so important when it comes to what we see on our skin and skin health? Hey friends, sorry to interrupt, but I have something new and free for you. So it's going to be worth it. I just created a private pod course that is going to teach you all about how to actually balance your blood sugar for happier hormones and more stable moods and energy. And I'm giving away the first two episodes completely free. All you have to do is sign up and grab those and you will have complete access right away. Your link is in the show notes and I will see you in there. Oh, wow. It's so, it's so important. And I think I'm really happy actually that more focus has been on the connection between gut health and our skin, but also the liver. I mean, first and foremost, gut health. So the gut microbiome is actually pretty tightly linked to the skin microbiome. So, I mean, and I think we intuitively understand this as well. So as I said, they are kind of like interlinked and our gut health really dictates so much. Again, you know, more about this than me, how we digest our food, how we process our food, how we absorb the nutrients. 
you know, whether we're constipated or not, like all these things are just impacting all the organs, like all the systems in your body. And ultimately that includes your skin, right? So it will also then affect for the liver. It's not just like filtering through certain, you know, toxic substances and whatnot. There's a lot of things that are happening in the liver. So, you know, conversion of thyroid hormone, like T4 to T3, which is really essential. Thyroid, you know, hormones are really, really essential for metabolism and can really wreck, I would say, a lot of, (laughs) you know, a lot of people's skins when they have thyroid issues. This is, I think, very, very common. And then secondly, I would say estrogen detoxification pathways in the liver are super important for clear skin. So I, I know some practitioners name this as estrogen dominance, which maybe, you know, I don't quite like it because it kind of gives you impression that you're just creating too much estrogen. Really, usually the issue is that you're not detoxifying the waste estrogen properly in the second part of our cycle when we need to detoxify it. And for that, we do need a lot of nutrients. So for a lot of my clients, they simply are not eating enough and they're not getting enough nutrients to actually support the estrogen detoxification process. And it's very easy, I would say, to spot the symptoms of this. Like if you have raging PMS, if you have, you know, really heavy like bleeding, bloating, like really you're not yourself (laughs) before your period, definitely it indicates that the estrogen detoxification pathways may not be running smoothly. So this is always something that I check with my clients. But I just like one last thought about the gut health and the skin health that I want to emphasize the importance of skin microbiome. And it's something also that we just started to appreciate in the last decade or so, maybe even not that long. And how important it is in healthy skin, like healthy skin barrier, because a healthy skin barrier will reinforce, you know, the skin microbiome, but also vice versa. So when we take antibiotics, you know, the skin clears up, it's all great. And then you stop and then your gut health is wrecked, but also the skin microbiome is wrecked. So like we do depend upon certain bacterial strains on our skin to help the skin have a proper pH because this will then support proper, I would say, activity of enzymes in the skin, in the upper layers of the skin that control the ceramide synthesis, that control natural exfoliation process so that your skin doesn't get all clogged up, which then leads to acne. So disturbed skin microbiome leads to a host of issues, including acne. So it's really, really important to keep that in mind. And a lot of things can actually negatively impact that microbiome, I would say. But yeah, definitely linked to gut health Mm -hmm. in in this way. Yeah, that brings me to a question of, I know when I was going through acne in my teen years, what I was prescribed was things on my skin, like I think it was like benzoyl peroxide. And I know I had a couple of other topical things that I used, but I was also prescribed antibiotics and then eventually Accutane. And just knowing what I know now, that had a huge effect on my gut and on my liver with Accutane. I mean, I just, I can't even believe like the effects that that really has even long-term. And now I'm, you know, I wish that I hadn't taken it, but I did. And so even when we're talking about gut health and liver health, antibiotics affect your gut health in a big way. And then Accutane, you have to take a blood test every single month to make sure that you're not having liver issues. And so like, I don't know why that wasn't a red flag to me. And I think the reason was I was so desperate for my acne to be better. And I was, you know, 19, 20 years old and thought I was invincible. I'd love to, I'd love to hear any of your thoughts on those medications and maybe even long-term effects on skin. For sure. I mean, it's very, very natural. I would say to just wish for clear skin and desperately wish for clear skin when you don't have it. 
because we intuitively understand this is the first thing kind of like that people see when they look at us, especially if we have quite severe acne. I mean, we want to appear, you know, good, like look good right. and appear healthy. It's a, it's a very, very deeply ingrained evolutionary instinct to, you know, be in good health. So I think a lot of people kind of think that they're vain for wanting clear skin. And I always try to reassure my clients like you're not vain for wanting clear skin. It's literally like a biological need. The issue becomes when we start to wish for something that's like unrealistic, like these Photoshop, you know, things that you see on social media, but like just wanting clear skin, this desire can be so strong that it overrides just about anything else. Mm -hmm. So even if you were aware of the negative effects like a lot of people will still take the medication because they just really want to get it over with. They want to have clear skin. And I can, I can relate to that aspiration. I've been through it myself. And luckily I never took Accutane, but I was on several rounds of antibiotics, which, you know, set me up really well <laughs> with my gut health, right. as you know, but these medications are still very popular. And especially I would say Accutane, I think more and more, I've just seen the statistics here in Norway where I live it has like quadrupled in just like the last few years, like the use of Accutane. It's like, it's really doled out like candy almost. And it is the strongest medication we have for acne, but there's really not much alternative when you go to a dermatologist. It's usually like birth control antibiotics or Accutane. And all of them are simply band-aids that will actually, when you rip it off, make the situation just much worse in the future. Yeah. So I would say even maybe the top one reason why people come to me is actually use of various medications or like why they develop acne in, in let's say, at an adult age. Maybe they had actually good skin during teenage years and then they come off their birth control pills. Uh, you know, they've been on antibiotics for something else and then suddenly their skin is freaking out. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very common thing. So essentially, I would say if you're going to a dermatologist, I always say this, I think on my social media, just ask this simple question, you know, what will happen when I stop the treatment? Yeah, that's a great what will question. Happen then? It's a great question because they will not have a good answer for you. It's really their only concern what happens as long as you're seeing them. So I had clients who were on antibiotics for up to 10 years, if you can believe it. I think I was on it for probably a couple of years myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've been on it for several times, but it was never longer, I would think, than three or four months. So it really can cause a lot, a lot of damage. It can be very difficult to undo. And, you know, it's not really solving anything, really. It's just putting a Band-Aid on things yeah. that can make things much, much more difficult for you down the line. Right, right. And I love the common sense that you're sharing. That is, yes, we're talking about the gut. Yes, we're talking about the liver. Yes, we're talking about the skin barrier. And all of those things really do come back to how your body is nourished. And when you are not nourished well, and when you're eating basically, like you said so well, those fake foods, which in America, mm. we are really great at eating fake foods. <laughs> I don't know how it is in Norway. I just assume it's a little better, but you, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's predominant, I think, almost everywhere right now. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... Even exactly what you said, like those fake health foods, I think that sometimes we're fooling ourselves when we think that we can live a really stressed out lifestyle, we can eat on the run and that our health isn't going to suffer for it. And I know that as a culture and maybe even worldwide, this is common. And I loved what you said a while ago that was 
maybe it is a normal reaction for us to have acne and for us to have hormonal imbalances in this environment, in this environment, maybe it really is normal. And I do talk a lot about like the difference between things being normal and things being common. And, Mm. but I, I love that distinction that you made that like, yes, this is actually the reaction your body is going to take when you're in that circumstance. And absolutely as well, that when you've been doing this for 10 years, it's not going to get better in a month. Maybe it's not even going to get better in three months, but usually like six to 12 months down the road, you're seeing improvements once you start to find something that's sustainable for you and that you can be consistent and that you can actually do long-term. And I think that so many of us want that quick fix. And especially with acne, like, man, I remember how terrible that felt and like why I took those medications because you're absolutely right. It is, it is what people see of you right away. And so we do have that desire to show up in a way that we, you know, look presentable and we look healthy. And I think you're right that it is more of like a, a biologic response because our bodies are always craving reproduction. That's something that is really interesting with our hormones, especially as women, but even as men, we're, we're craving reproduction. You want to be able to find a partner, like all of those things. And that's, that's exactly what you're going through generally in those years like Mm -hmm. late teens and early twenties. And I mean, definitely can be later than that as well. So I think it's just really, really helpful to just think of it that way that like, this isn't something that doesn't matter. This isn't something that you're being vain. Like it truly is a response that your body is craving that connection and reproduction and just connection with other people in general, even outside of like a romantic relationship. And I think that just, I don't know, giving ourselves the grace to realize like, yeah, this is important. And that it also, you know, everything that we're saying, like it can be more simple than we make it. I think that we get really Mm -hmm. caught up in the fancy things, right? Like all of the skincare and all of the lab testing and all of the fancy diets or the whatever. And really we do need to go back to the basics just a lot more. Absolutely. I really love that you, that you, that you said that because ultimately, you know, some of the truths about ourselves, like this innate desire to have beautiful skin, it can be hard to hear sometimes and how you connected with the, with the sexual reproduction. This is also something I've talked about before and people come at me, Oh, but like, I have a partner. I'm not, I'm not wanting to get pregnant or anything. I'm like, it doesn't matter where you are currently in your life. You did not just undo two billion years of sexual reproduction and the evolution that it carries by having a partner this month and not last month. Like the innate desire has been evolving in animal kingdom for two billion years. Like you're not just going to undo this. Like whatever your sexual orientation may be, whether you have a partner, whether you're looking for a partner, like we want to look good our entire lives because this desire is so deeply rooted. And so in this way, I do see how these quick fixes are very attractive. Like we just want to, you know, solve it instantly. But the solution you said oftentimes is simply just simplifying, finding solutions that are sustainable in the long run. So coming back to the diet, if you're following a diet that doesn't keep you satiated, that you cannot really sustain long-term, why are you wasting your time on this? Why not start establishing healthy habits that are going to be sustainable for you long-term and ultimately very enjoyable for you long-term? Like this is the only way to success. Otherwise, you're just going to be falling on and off the wagon, like, you know, forever. Like, and people without realizing how have a lot of limitations in their mind when they kind of like are eating. So I cannot have 
this much cholesterol. I cannot have this much fat. I cannot have this much carb. Like they have all these limitations in their minds that they don't even realize they have. And it's really just making things very stressful for them. But yeah, simplifying, going back to kind of like our roots and just, you know, aligning with what our genes, you know, are expecting, our body's expecting to receive. Like we have evolved and, you know, our body with a certain, let's say, input of vitamins and minerals and energy and micro and micronutrients. So, and this has been going on for like millennia. So our bodies expect, expect certain things to happen in order to function optimally, right? So if we are not providing an environment, it can really all go downhill very quickly. But the solution, I would argue, oftentimes is much simpler than, than people anticipate. Coming back to the hormones, a lot of times people will really, you know, emphasize you have to do testing, you have to all these things. And, you know, testing can be totally fine. But in the end, the solution oftentimes is the same. Just nourish your body, right? Like go back to the basics of how a healthy human life should look like. Like it's not being up inside 100% of your time, obviously, things like that, right? So these all things matter. I mean, sometimes even, even more so than the actual diet when people really don't see any sunlight, they don't move at all, they're just, you know, things like that will also matter. So simplifying, going back to these basic principles of how humans actually evolve, because the way we evolved is precisely what is the healthiest for us, because this is what we evolved doing. I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's obviously, you know, we have different, there's two different opinions on basically how we got here. Right. And I actually believe in creation versus evolution. And I think that the principles still apply that what our bodies were created to do and what our bodies have been doing for generations and generations has changed so much in the last, you know, hundred or 200 years, especially compared to generations and generations before that, you know, however many there were, I think that it really is important to just realize the common stressors that have changed and that those truly do affect our bodies and that it's not realistic for us to expect to be doing all of these modern things and have the same results as our ancestors had. And so I think that that's just so important to Absolutely. take into consideration. And it's, I think it's really hard to take into consideration because this is all we've known, right? I'm 32. Yes. So I haven't known hundreds of years ago. And so I think that, especially with the internet, like we're so caught up in what's happening right now. And I think we forget that it hasn't always been like this. So I think that's really important. Very true. Very true. I mean, there's so many things in modern environment that really are it's just not supportive of our health. And it can be overwhelming to even to know what to tackle first. And, you know, people have their jobs and they just cannot always escape their reality. But the fact remains is that your body expects, expects certain things in order to function optimally. So it may not be fair, you know, to say you have to get certain, let's say, number of daily steps or some kind of movement right. or, you know, sunlight. If, if you have a night shift that you're sleeping through the day, like that may be unfair to say, but like, it's still the truth, right? right? Like it's still the truth that your body expects right. these things in order to function optimally. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think that let's talk about sunlight for just a second, because even coming up on the winter season, I think it's a lot harder to get sunlight. And I think that it's easy to forget that just in general, when you're busy, like no matter if you're working or if you're at home as a mom, like sometimes it's really hard to get outside and to just, it's easy to forget. Basically, maybe it's not hard to get out, but it's easy to forget. And so 
I think that remembering that some of those like very basic principles of like, we need sunlight to thrive. Yes. That can be something that really can be simple and needs to be prioritized. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent because it sounds very simple and it is very simple. So we tend to disregard it, but it's so crucial for our health. And just go again, going back to these basics, just having some, you know, some, let's say morning sunlight to set your circadian rhythm, right. Having just kind of like gentle daily sunlight exposure is so important and it really cannot be replaced by something in a bottle. This is something that a lot of people would expect, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm having my vitamin D3 supplement. I don't need anything else, but the interaction of our skin and our body with the sun is so much more complex than that. So I'll give you an example. Um, nitric oxide gets released in our skin from the UVA mostly, and this actually regulates the skin microbiome. So it regulates certain strains of bacteria in our skin, and this in turn help the proper skin pH. It also, it also in, in indirectly will regulate the inflammation levels in the skin. So for a lot of people, they literally... Their diet is not a problem. Their skincare is not a problem. The only issue is that they're not getting any anywhere near enough like daily sunlight. And, you know, they start to do that and their skin clears up and they're fine. Like that was the missing link that you're trying to fix by tweaking something else. But it's not always possible to do that, you know, to kind of compensate in other areas where something as fundamental as sunlight is missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the skin barrier. I know you've touched on that a couple of times, but I know that that is like the core of what you do. And so I'd love to hear you just explain to us a little bit more how the skin barrier works and why it's so important. Yeah, that's a really good, great question. And really at the core, as you say, of what I do and what I teach. So skin barrier, you can imagine it's kind of like a protective wall on the surface of our skin. It is yeah, like a shield on our surface of our skin that is created by layers and layers of dead skin cells. I don't like to call them dead skin cells, but this is what most people will refer them to. They're called corneal sites because that uppermost layer will also be referred to structurally as stratum corneum. So it's basically that layer of your skin that you can touch. And it's just like layers and layers of these dead skin cells immersed in a matrix of lipids. So like various, you know, waxy, oily substances that kind of like keep that structure together like a glue. And there's so much going on in this upper layer of the skin that is, you know, keeping you alive, but it's like also performing many other functions. So even though these skin cells are dead, so to speak, there's still a lot of enzymatic activity in them. There's a lot of still, you know, chemical reactions that are going on that are helping your skin look its best. And ultimately our skin can maintain itself So cleanse itself, exfoliate itself, moisturize itself when the skin barrier is healthy. Now, of course, there's caveats to this because we kind of create the need for skincare during, due to various reasons, wearing makeup, wearing SPF, living in a polluted environment, things like that will kind of create need for more skincare. But our skin has evolved a lot of mechanisms for self-maintenance. So really the path to best skin is trying to balance, you know, that letting the skin just do its thing and then doing a little bit that is going to enhance our skin or, you know, fix, let's say, issue like acne in a way. So we're doing these things in a way that it's not overwhelming and disrupting the skin barrier. 
if that makes sense. Because everything we are doing our skin, even just touching our skin, will in a way affect your skin. So some things more than the others. So, you know, harsh cleansers, harsh scrubs, even moisturizers, even a lot of hydrating products, you know, toners can contain so many irritants that are really just damaging your skin barrier. And then the inflammation rises, your skin barrier becomes kind of leaky. Literally, there are cracks in it. So you're losing water quicker through your skin. You're getting more dehydrated. More pollutants and just unwanted substances from the environment can then penetrate your skin better, cause more inflammation. Mm -hmm. And then you are locked in this vicious cycle of having certain skin issues and trying to fix them with products that are just making things Mm -hmm. worse. This is this vicious cycle where a lot of people are locked in. Yeah. So I think the last question that I wanted to ask you is we've talked a lot more about the internal side of skincare, but I know that topical is also important. And we've kind of a little tiny bit touched on, you know, basically there's a lot of bad skincare out there. If you were to give us just like a couple of starting points, where would you start maybe assessing skincare or how do we know if our skincare is dehydrating in our skin or causing cracks in our skin? This is an excellent question. So I've actually created a free resource for exactly this thing so that people have a place to start. So first I would check all your skincare and makeup products as well for irritating and pore clogging ingredients because so much of the skincare makeup will contain these ingredients. And it's not always like a problem if there's one of these ingredients in there, although sometimes it can be, but it's really just kind of like if you have several, especially at the top of the ingredient list where they're kind of like more prominent part of the formula. So definitely check your skincare makeup against this list. You can maybe put in the description, like direct a link to this. And there are also created a short free online course that kind of helps you evaluate your current skincare, just kind of like a set of questions that help you evaluate how your skincare is actually working for you. So I would say if your skin feels calm and comfortable. It feels pretty moisturized also when you don't have a moisturizer on. Let's say you wake up first thing in the morning and it's not like parched, dry and uncomfortable. You're doing well. Like you're doing like your skin barrier is probably in a pretty good place. A lot of people who have, you know, some acne issues, you know, they can still have pretty healthy skin barrier. Although by definition, there's, you know, increased inflammation in the skin because of the acne, but the skin barrier can still be in good shape. But like any uncomfortable feeling, skin swinging between like oily and dry and uncomfortable, itchy, tight. All these are signs that the skin barrier really is just needs some attention that is like damaged and inflamed. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And we'll definitely share those resources because they're so helpful and I think a really good place to start. And so everyone listening to this who has skin things going on is going to want to find you. So tell us where we can find you and just maybe some of the things that you're sharing. Oh yeah. So people can find me at healthyskinglows.com and I'm also healthyskinglows on Instagram. So I think that would be like the two best places to, to see, to look me up. And then also there, I will have resources, you know, linked in the, in these two places. So they're easy to find. Yeah. Healthy skin glows. It's, it's very simple. Okay. So healthyskinglows.com yeah, and healthyskinglows is my Instagram handle. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been so good. I know. Thank you so much. (laughs) Lots of good feedback and lots of questions. And so thank you for doing this with me and we will see everyone next week. Any information shared on this podcast is solely for educational purposes, is not to be taken as medical advice or to be used as a diagnosis or a treatment plan for any medical condition. I'm sharing my educated opinions and experience, but nothing shared here can be taken on a one-size-fits-all basis. 
we always recommend that you do your own research, talk to your own doctors, and take full informed responsibility for any health and medical choices that you make. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today for listening. And I hope that you were encouraged and learned something new. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you be willing to share it with a friend and to leave us a review? I believe that every woman deserves to understand her body and feel great in it. And you can help me in this mission by sharing the podcast. If you're also feeling like you're ready for the next step and you're really ready to dive in in your hormone journey, my course Nourish Your Hormones is created specifically for you. It's a step-by-step blueprint to increase your metabolism, restore energy, and have better periods and mood every single month. I would love to connect with you. So come over and join me on my Instagram page at Leisha Drews and send me a message. If you have questions or just want to tell me something that you enjoyed about this episode, I can't wait to meet you.